And uh, we're starting this week in a, a new series through the book of Galatians. Uh, the book of Galatians is one of those books that a lot of people have studied, a lot of people have looked through, and sometimes we forget the message that it's teaching us. Because as it says in the book of Galatians, we're reminded over and over and over again that we have been set free. When Paul was writing the book of Galatians, there were some people going around. This was probably uh, prior to what would happen in Acts chapter 15. But the idea was there were people who were going around saying, it's all fine and good that you want to believe in Jesus, but before you do that, you've got to become a Jew first. You know, this Jesus thing is kind of a sect out of Judaism. So you've got to be circumcised. You've got to become part of the law. You've got to do all that. And then you can kind of add this Jesus to it. And Paul's saying, no. He said, no, I I grew up in that. And, And we're going to see over and over again, it's not a matter of becoming a Jew first and then giving our hearts to Christ and kind of adding him on top of that. But we also are going to see that This freedom that we have in Christ is not freedom like sometimes we think of freedom. You know, I'm going to be a teenager, I'm going to be an adult, I'm going to be free from my parents. I'm going to be able to do my own thing. I can get out and and go and be my own person. That's not what freedom is in Christ. It's not a matter of doing what we want until we allow him to change our wants. Then we can do what we want because we're allowing him to work in our lives. But but as we're thinking through this, I just wanted to share a couple of things real quick as we, we get into the book of Galatians. First off, last week, I do appreciate your prayers. Um, I was in the country of Jordan last week uh, with several guys from our ministry from Brazil to Moldova to Jordan to Turkey uh, to Azerbaijan. We were all together. And uh, for some of you who may know, there was a, a, a bit of an incident in Damascus, Syria, uh, instituted by our president. And somebody said, well, how close were you to the bombing? And I said, well, it just all depends. Do you consider if they bombed Charleston close to, to being there if you were here? And so that's about how close we were to the bombing. But if people from here hadn't have called to see if we were okay, we would have never known it was even happening because you couldn't hear it. The people in Jordan, I think, are kind of used to it. And so they were all kind of laid back. But I do appreciate your prayers because we... It could have been bad. We, our biggest concern was, are they going to let us fly out of Jordan now that, you know, they're sending missiles from the Mediterranean into Syria? Are they going to let us fly through that area? But, but we made it home, so I appreciate your prayers. But as we're thinking through the book of Galatians, you know, we hear all the time, advertisements, this is free. And some of us who've been around a little bit longer realize and understand that that does not mean what we think it means. Because free is never free. You can get this free if you buy this subscription to this magazine. You can get this free if you pay shipping and handling, and it, we're going to ship it in four different shipments. So it's going to be $30 per shipment. You know, it's, it's, you know how it is. And so we, th- we begin to think nothing is really free. What's the saying? There's no such thing as a free lunch. And so we begin, we talk about freedom in Christ. We say, well, surely it's not really free. You know, surely there's there's a cost I have to pay. 
Now, in this situation, freedom is free, and there was a cost that was paid, but it was paid by Jesus Christ. It is free to us because of what he accomplished for us. And so as we begin to look in this book, I want us to understand that that this is really kind of the Christian's declaration of independence. Paul is saying over and over again in this book, it's not a matter of what you do. It's a matter of what Christ has done for you. He has set us free. And so as we begin to look at the book, I want us to look, we start here in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. This is what Paul says. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, and to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, as we begin to understand, what does it mean to walk in this freedom? Because it doesn't mean that we, like I said, it doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want. There is an idea of understanding who God is and what his plan is for our life and what he has accomplished for us. And so, as we think through walking in freedom, I want us to understand, have a proper understanding of God's plan. We see this in these first few verses here. What was God's plan? First off, God's plan was to rescue us through Jesus Christ. What does he say in verse 1? But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, he has made us, he has rescued us from our sin. It also says he's rescued us from the present evil age. Now, how many of you feel rescued from the present evil age? I mean, you know, I don't feel rescued a lot of times from the present evil age. I still have to deal with craziness. I still have to deal with sin. I still have to deal with other people who are doing the wrong thing. I still have to deal with my own self who sometimes wants to do the wrong thing. And so what does it mean that he has rescued us from this? Well, the idea is here, he has set the plan for us. We've just got to step into that plan. He's made the way for us to be rescued. We've just got to walk in that rescue. Now, there's still going to be bad things that happen around us. There's still going to be life that happens. But we begin to walk and understand. One of the guys that was with us last week, when people were beginning to text us about whether we were being bombed or not, he texted from Moldova and he said, are you guys okay? Well, my Moldovan friend texted back, we can't answer right now. We're hiding behind rocks. Now, you know, that's all kind of humorous to us. I don't know how humorous it was to the guys in Moldova. But, you know, we can laugh about it because even in this present evil age, if something had happened and one of those missiles had gone off track and landed in Ajloon, Jordan, and killed all of us, we would have been okay. We can, we can relax in the craziness that's going on around us. I remember getting on airplanes in the Bahamas when we lived there, and you know, you get these little ladies that get on the airplane, and they're coming, boy, they're all worshiping the Lord, and hallelujah, praise God, until you, you hit the first little bit of turbulence. And then it was grip, grabbing a hold, and then they're calling out Jesus' name, but in a different way, with a little bit different tone, because they just know they're going to die in this plane. You know, being rescued from this evil age 
realize and understand that we don't have to fear. Hello? Uh, no, we realize, <laughs> you're good. We realize that you don't have to fear no matter what comes our way because we're resting and trusting in him. We're trusting in God's plan. We're also trusting God's plan that he gives us grace and peace. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I read something this week about living in grace and that it's easy for us and, and exciting for us to think through Christ giving us grace, but it's not always easy to give each other grace. It's not always easy to be willing to say, man, they blew it, but I love them anyway. They blew it, but I want to do what I can to help them. Because it's so much easier to point. It's so much easier to, to, to condemn. It's so much easier to get frustrated. It's so much easier to, to judge and say, man, they should have never done that. Now, should they have never done that? Yes, they should never have done it. But there's always times when each of us need God's grace and we need each other's grace and we need to pour it out on others. So he's given us this grace. And it's also that he's included us in his purpose. He says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Do you realize? You know, I've had people ask me, well, how come God didn't just save me and take me to heaven so I don't have to deal with all this junk that's going on in my life? Well, the reason is, how were you saved? You were saved by someone telling you about Christ, right? Well, if that person had been saved and taken to heaven, where would you be? See, he's included us in his plan. Each of us have, you know, Brian talked the last two weeks about sharing the gospel with, with our friends. And I know that's scary and intimidating sometimes. I know it's, it, it's easier to go fly to Jordan and share the gospel with a Muslim who might kill me than it is to share with my coworker who has to talk to me every day. I mean, you know, because I'm never going to see this guy again. Whether he kills me and I never see him again or I fly home and I never see him again, it's a whole different thing. This person I work with on a daily basis, it's harder. But God has left you in that place. The story's told of a young lady that went to work at a, a manufacturing company and she basically, if you've ever worked in manufacturing or shipping or any of those kind of things, sometimes the people that work there have a tendency to, to not necessarily glorify the Lord in the things they say and do. Um, you know, I worked for a truck line one time, unloading trucks. And it's amazing the words you can learn. And, and the way they're used. They don't ever fit quite in the sentence. But, and so she's in this setting and she's going to church every week going... I just don't think I can handle working here. So finally, her pastor said, well, well, where do you put lights? She said, what do you mean? He said, where do you put a light? In the darkness. He said, exactly. God has placed you as a light in that darkness. And so shine that light. Not always easy, but God has included us in his plan. And then we see here, we have a proper understanding of who we are. Not just what God's plan is, but who we are. Because we walk in God's authority. Paul says here, the message says this, my authority for writing you does not come from any popular vote 
of the people, nor does it come through the appointment of some human higher up. It comes directly from Jesus the Messiah and God the Father. You say, well, that's easy for Paul to say. Paul was called on the Damascus Road. He met Jesus face to face. Jesus commissioned him on the Damascus Road. That's different. It's not. Jesus Christ has called each of us in this room in the same way that he called Paul. We have the same authority based on who he is that Paul had. Not based on who we are. Not based. Paul didn't have that authority because he was raised in Judaism and he knew the Old Testament and all those kind of things. He had that authority based on who Christ is and that Christ called him to do it. And when we go out into the world, we go out to share Christ, we go in his authority. So we're, we have an authority. We also have each other. Paul says here in verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. To all the brothers who are with me. You're not in this alone. It may seem that way sometimes. You may feel like I can't talk to anybody. I can't unload on anybody. I can't get help from anybody. But you're not in this alone. We, we, God has called us to be together in Christ, to be in community. That's what this body, that's what all bodies are about. Now, granted, we tend to forget that. Church becomes about the performance we can do and how we can look and how we sit and whether we have a nice building and all those things. But the reality is God called the church together to be the body of Christ, to help one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. If you haven't ever done it before, just go and get a, a concordance or Google it, the word one another. And look at all the scripture passages that talk about one another. The thing, encourage one another, strengthen one another, love one another. All throughout the New Testament, it's the idea that we're in this together. We work together. So we understand that we have God's authority, we have each other, but we also have God's power. Verses 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, what's the difference between having God's authority and having God's power? Anybody have an idea? What's the difference between those two? Not everybody at once. What's the difference between having, say, oh, not just God's, okay? What's the difference in having someone's authority and someone's power? I'll give you an example, not to, to brag on, on Gil. But this morning, there was a gentleman who was kind of laid out on the curb up here with his feet sticking out in the road. So I came in, I said, Gil, you know, would you walk down here with me just to make sure, first off, is he alive? I wasn't even sure if he was alive. But so Gil walks down there with me. First off, Gil is going in the authority of the state of South Carolina. He has an authority invested in him as a state trooper. But also, he walked down there with me. There was a power with the two of us together, there was a power for him to be able to step and do something that maybe I couldn't even do. I'm going with him at the time in the authority of the state of South Carolina because I'm with him. 
He has that authority. We have the authority of Christ, but we don't only have his authority, we have his power. He works with us, walks with us, works through us. He's promised that he would do it through us. And so that's who we are. We know his plan. We understand who we are. We also need to understand what our task is. Beginning in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins and deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For, my, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to still please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, we need to understand the truth of the gospel. Because I think sometimes we, we lose track of that. Though we don't want to, we begin to add things to the gospel. We say, well, what's the gospel? Well, it's giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ and doing, 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 doing. No, it's not. It's Christ. What, what does Paul say the gospel is in Corinthians? That Christ was born according to the Scriptures, that he lived according to the Scriptures, that he died according to the Scriptures, that he rose again according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. It's Christ and Christ alone. We don't add anything to it. We don't add church membership. We don't add dress code. We don't ask, you know, it's Christ. As I sat with these men last week in Jordan, there were some who came to know Christ in a totally different way than I did. I grew up hearing about Christ. I grew up giving my life to him as a young, at a young age because my parents convinced me and showed me that that was the truth. Some of these men came to know Christ because they were in the middle of about to commit a crime and had a dream where Christ said, hey, you do that, it's not going to be good for you. You might need to follow me. And they went and said, hey, could somebody tell me about this guy I just had a dream about? But the issue is whether an eight-year-old little boy in Atlanta, Georgia, giving his life to Christ, I was saved no differently than my friend from Azerbaijan who was saved after a dream where God showed him and he gave his heart to Christ. It was all based on what Christ did for me. That's the gospel. And so we're called to share the gospel. We're called to tell people the truth, not to share the truth plus something. It's the gospel. We're also called to stand firm in God's grace. Verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You know, most of the time, apostasy or, or leaning away from the Lord takes time. You know, people begin to to, to teach one little thing that sounds good at first, and then eventually it, it kind of leads down a path that gets a little crazy. Paul's saying, I'm surprised this quickly? I mean, you, I mean you've just, this is, this is all new. I mean, Paul wrote this 
probably about 15 years after Christ died and rose again. And he's going, you just heard this truth and already you're deserting it? Why were they deserting it? Because other people were coming in going, well, you know that Paul guy? He's kind of a crazy man. You know, he was a Jew and now he's decided that, you know, he didn't want to be a Jew anymore. He's, he's trying to convince these Gentiles. And so to convince the Gentiles, he's kind of watered down the truth a little bit. The truth is you've got to become a Jew first and, and be circumcised and all that. And then, then you can follow Christ. But because he's trying to accommodate to the Gentiles, he's watered down the truth. And so they're going, hey, that sounds about right. And Paul's going, no. No, don't let people deceive you. And, and trust me. Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, people are going to teach all kinds of crazy things. People are going to lead you astray. Some are going to do it purposefully. Some are going to do it just because they have no idea otherwise. And we see it. We see all kinds of crazy theologies and ideas coming up. And Paul says, know the truth. Understand the gospel. Know what is real and what's not. And you say, well, sometimes that's hard. It is. If you hear something, you go, I'm not real sure about that. Ask somebody. Don't just get sucked in because even if you hear it from up here, don't believe everything you say. Not that we're trying to purposely deceive you, but we could be deceived. We can be wrong. So if you hear something, you go, "Ah, I don't know about that. Come to us. I have stood, I, I started to say pulpit, we don't, but I have stood up front at a church several times and gone, you know what, last week I said this, but the more I looked at it and somebody put, you know, no, it's probably not that. And I apologize, I hope I didn't, you know, I wasn't purposefully trying to lead people astray, but sometimes, you know, we can be wrong. And so we've got to understand the truth. We also need to understand that the gospel is worth fighting for. We've got to to understand that this is what Christ has called us to be and do. And sometimes, by standing firm on the truth, we are going to lose friends. We're going to lose people who uh, respect us. Sometimes we're going to have to call out people that are teaching wrong things on the television. I very rarely are you going to ever hear me name names. But there comes sometimes when I might. Paul does. There's times when Paul says, this person's teaching heresy and you need to stay away from them. And you say, well, that's pretty bigoted of you, Wade. You're pretty narrow-minded. I mean, in today's society, it's the idea is tolerance, right? If I say that's wrong, I mean, God, man, you're so intolerant. Now, if Christ says it's wrong, and the Scripture says it's wrong, if you are in your house, and I notice that the back of your house is on fire, is it intolerant for me to knock on your door and say, you need to get out of your house? Might be. You might go, hey, I like the back of my house being on fire. I was cold. 
and now things are warmer. You might look at me and say, you are wrong. My house is not on fire. I'm in here. I know better. You might tell me to go jump in a lake or something worse. Is it intolerant for me to try to rescue you out of that fire? No, it's not. When we are telling people the truth, it's not intolerant. It may not be popular, but it's not intolerant. It's trying to rescue them out of a bad situation. And we also are trying to live to please the Father. He says, for now... Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, as we do what Christ has called us to do, it's not going to please the people around us sometimes. And I hate to tell you this, it's not going to please your family members sometimes. It's not going to please your spouse sometimes. But we're called to stand firm and to please him, not please others. So where does the rubber meet the road? First off, get to know the word of God. Paul says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now I know, we talked about this yesterday. I know when you hear the word study. Even those of us who somewhat like school, that's just not the funnest word, is it? You know, I don't want to study. I'd rather it just come naturally. You know, I'd rather sit in class, hear it one time, and boy, I've got it. I can go take the test now, and I'm good. But there comes that point in time, you got to study. I even read something the other day that the guy said, well, we need to quit telling people to study their Bibles. And I know what he was saying because the scripture doesn't really tell us except for in this passage to study. It says to meditate upon the word. But the issue is the same. Get to know this book. Is it easy? Not always. Is it time consuming? Sure it is. My dad bought what was called a sideboard. Anybody old enough to remember what a sideboard is? All right. My dad bought this sideboard when when I was younger, and it was gold. Now, they don't, not made out of gold. It was painted gold. Now, I don't know why they painted it gold, but apparently they were afraid that the wood would maybe at some point in time show through because there were about 14 layers of gold paint on this thing. And my dad wanted to get it back to the natural wood. And so every day, he'd come home from work, and he's out there with sandpaper, rubbing, 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 until eventually one day he got it down to the natural wood. Now, this idea, what am I talking about? That's what the idea there is in Timothy when it talks about studying. It's that idea of constant, day in, day out, just letting it rub against your head, basically. Getting to know what it says. And that doesn't mean that next week you're ready to to do a sermon on the book of Ecclesiastes. But it means that you get to know the book. You know what my challenge would be? Is don't, don't, this is going to sound bad. I know I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. My recommendation is don't do these read through the Bible in a year programs. 
And you say, Wade, why wouldn't you do that? It's a good thing to read through the Bible in a year. It is. I've done it a lot of times. But the tendency is we get going too, we're trying to cover too much too fast. And if we miss a day and it's three chapters, then okay, now I got to read six chapters today. And if I miss two days, now I got to read nine chapters. And, I, and finally we just go, Pfft. and we get to the book of Leviticus and, and it's, we just go, there's no way. I cannot read this. I cannot understand it. I can't grasp it. What I would say is if you've never studied the Bible, take one book of the Bible, one book of the New Testament, let's put it that way, one book of the New Testament and say, this year, I'm going to get to know this book. Nothing else, this book. You'll be amazed at how much you will learn. You'll be amazed at how much God draws you closer to himself. Get to know the word. Understand what's here. Because if you don't, you can't stand firm for the truth. Secondly, surround yourself with good teachers. There are some crazy thoughts out there. There are some crazy teachers. And that doesn't necessarily mean surround yourself with someone who went to seminary. Because I hate to say it, as someone who did go to seminary, most Errors in theology, most heresies, most cults are started by people who went to seminary. Because the tendency is we begin to get so nitpicky and we begin to focus so so much that we lose track of the big picture. But understand and know who are the good teachers. Know who you can listen to. If you say, well, I listen to this person on television and I'm not sure, ask somebody. Because not everybody who says the Bible says is really teaching what the Bible says. Surround yourself with people who can, who can understand and know and, and help you to understand the Word. Paul says this, For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We want to hear the people who tell us, if you just follow Jesus, you'll have all the money you need. If you just follow Jesus, everything will be perfect. You'll never be sick, and everything's going to be great. We love to hear that, because it makes us feel good. But is it true? So surround yourself with good teachers. And lastly, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask. Now, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be honest with you here. There are people who say, teachers say it all the time, you know, there's no such thing as a bad question. The only bad question is the question that's not asked, or, or stupid questions, usually what people say. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's not the truth. Okay, there are such a thing as stupid questions. But don't be afraid to ask. You know, really the stupid question is the one that somebody's already told you the answer and you ask anyway. You know, anybody ever been in college class and they say, you know, on the syllabus it says A, B, C, and D. Well, we're not going to do C. We've decided time-wise we're not going to do C. Professor, on C, what, am I, what does this mean that I'm supposed to do this? That's a stupid question because he just said we're not doing C. Or, Professor, does that mean we're doing A, B, D? 
D&E. Yes, yes, it means you're, you're just not, so there are stupid questions, but I don't want that to distract you from asking questions. If you look at something and you go, I just don't understand this. I read this in the passage in the Bible and it just does, excuse me, doesn't make sense to me. Then ask somebody. Ask someone you trust. Ask your city group leader. If you're not involved in a city group, get involved in a city group. And ask your city group leader. And they, if, if they are honest and if they are the kind of teacher you need, if they don't know the answer, they'll say, I don't know the answer. We'll find it together. Because our tendency as teachers and preachers is to think we know all the answers. You know, that's scary. I mean, Brian talked last week about apologetics. I don't want to do apologetics. That's not an area that's good for me. Because there are people who ask questions, I go, I don't have the slightest idea what you're talking about. But there are other areas that I do know. And so be, don't be afraid to ask questions. And my, what's the point in all this? As we think through the book of Galatians, as we begin to, to study this together, I want us to understand and know it. Not just sit here on a Sunday morning and hear me or Brian teach on it. I want us to know it. Not so we can be proud of the fact that we can quote passages out of the Galatians but so that we can see our lives transformed by the freedom that comes in Christ. Because that's the purpose of the book. That's the purpose of the Scriptures. It's not so we can memorize it and impress everybody with our knowledge. It's so that it transforms our lives. It makes us more like Christ. So as we begin to study, the title of the study is, What freedom really costs, right? What's the, how much does free really cost? As we begin to think through the cost that Christ paid for us and what it means to live in that freedom, I believe if we understand and know this and can live and walk in this, that we will do what God's called us to do, both at this church, in this city, and in the world. Because it's based in who he is, not in who we are. Let's pray.